We have an Old Testament scripture passage and a New Testament scripture passage tonight. Exodus chapter 17 is our Old Testament scripture passage. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 114. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? The Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Your Bible page, 1,782. Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. As far as the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also looking at Article 10 in the Belgian Confession of Faith. It's in the back of your Green Psalter handles on page 72. Not 72, 74. You are right. I was wrong. Article 10, Jesus Christ is true and eternal God. We believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature is the only begotten Son of God, begotten from eternity, not made nor created. For then he would be a creature, but co-essential and co-eternal with the Father, the very image of his substance and the effulgence of his glory, equal unto him in all things. He is the Son of God, not only from the time that he assumed our nature, but from all eternity. As these testimonies, when compared together, teach us, Moses says that God created the world, and St. John says that things were made by that word which he calls God. The apostle says that God made the world by his Son, likewise that God created all things by Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, it must needs follow that he who is called God, the Word, the Son, and Jesus Christ, did exist at that time when all things were created by him. Therefore, the prophet Micah says, his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And the apostle, he hath neither beginning of days nor end of life. He therefore is that true, eternal, and almighty God in whom we invoke, worship, and serve. Once again, I'm going to be reading from uh, another um, translation of Article 10. might have slight differences, um, but I think it's a little bit easier for me to follow and make sure I point out the things that I want to point out to you, y'all. Okay. The most important question that anybody can be asked or answer in this life is the question that I said in the title of this sermon. Who is Jesus? It's one uh, question that Christ actually gave to his disciples during his ministry. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Well, first he said, who do the people say that I am? What's the world say that I am? And if that was asked today, it might be a different answer than the disciples gave. They were saying, well, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the old prophets of old. And today, if, if, if Jesus were here and he said, well, what does the people say that I am? Well, they say you're, you're a good teacher. They say you have good principles. You're a man of integrity, but you know, not the son of God. You're somebody that's, that's nice, that's loving. But when the question is brought to us directly, well, not, not, no, not who do the people say that I am, who do you say that I am? The only correct answer given was from Peter who said, You are the Son of God. The Messiah. Now, Jesus himself said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because this was revealed to you not by man, but by my heavenly Father. This question that Jesus asked of his disciples has to be asked of us all as well. Who is Jesus? And who do we say he is? Well, Belgic Confession Article 10 seeks to answer that question at least in part. We need to understand that when the Belgic Confession was written by Guido de Bray, he was seeking to prove to the Catholics, the Roman Catholics, that they were still in line with Catholic, little c, universal orthodoxy. And one of the little c Catholic universal orthodoxy doctrines that's been set in stone since the second, third century of the early church had its seed form in the Apostles' Creed but came to full fruition in the Arian controversy that gave birth to the Nicene Creed is the conviction that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that Peter said in part... 
means that he is the eternal Son of God. Second person of the Holy Trinity. God the Son. It's one of the utmost important because the wrong answer to the question, who is Jesus, means eternal condemnation. And the right answer, revealed to us by God himself, leads to eternal life. So, hopefully, we can answer that question pretty straightforward. by the time we're done tonight. All right. We worship and serve forgot of an R. We worship and serve Christ because he is God. We have two points tonight. His divinity defended. And then secondly, his divinity applied. So Article 10 is all about putting forth our conviction as Christians... Because remember, the Belgian Confession begins with these very ever-important words that we continually need to remind ourselves. We all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth. This is a summary statement that should be applied to every article in this confession that uh, we believe. We all believe in our hearts and confess with the mouth that Jesus Christ is true and eternal God. So, let's begin by looking at the defense of his divinity. So I gave two passages tonight that maybe somebody who is um, trying to defend the divinity of Jesus Christ might not necessarily choose, but I wanted to do this for a particular reason. Well, hopefully I can show. There is a misconception about Jesus that leads to all kinds of heresies about him. And that is that Jesus is something like an afterthought. That Jesus is somebody who doesn't show up in the Bible until the New Testament. That he is only a man... That was especially chosen by God and adopted as son at his baptism. That's when he became a significant player, a significant character. What the passages that I chose prove is that Jesus has been in the Bible all along. You got it. In Exodus, all the way to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And of course, it's Genesis to Revelation, but this is a good widespread, and I'll take it. 
Exodus chapter 17 is one of those grumbling, whining, complaining, quarreling moments with the people of Israel. And what's interesting about this grumbling, whining, complaining moment in Exodus is that Moses speaks to God and God says, this is how we're going to resolve it. It sets the stage for what Moses will do later when God tells Moses to speak to the rock. And instead of speaking to the rock, Moses hits the rock like he did in this moment. And because he chose to do what God said not to do and express out of anger, he was not able to go into the promised land. But this is the moment when God does tell him to strike the rock. But what's interesting about this moment in Exodus chapter 17 is that the Lord says, Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you strike the Nile and go. And then the Lord says, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock. And water will come out of it for the people to drink. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And that's what Paul sees in it. Paul's saying, here is God who sees a bunch of sinful, grumbling, quarreling people. And what does he do? Smite them dead? No. He stands before Moses and lets him strike him. To give the people life, water. So what does the inspired apostle of the New Testament say? Well, he says the faith of the Israelites is the same as our faith. The God of Israel is our God. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that had accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. And so, although these passages might not be your typical passages that you would look to to prove or to defend the divinity of Jesus Christ, what it does tell us is that Jesus is not an afterthought. That the whole story of redemption that begins with the seeds planted in Genesis comes to fruition in the beautiful sycamore tree of Jesus Christ. It's the same organism, seed to tree. It's just gone through stages of development, growth. And the seed of God standing there, Yahweh, Allowing Moses to strike him with the stick, with the staff. Pointing to Jesus Christ. Tells us that Jesus has been around from the beginning. And in fact, that's what Article 10 tells us. We believe that Jesus Christ, and this is an important statement given here at the beginning of Article 10... According to his divinity. See, when I was looking at Article 10, thinking about preaching it, I almost thought, I need to preach the hypostatic union. I need to preach the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ 
But that's not what the Belgic Confession is doing here. It's establishing orthodoxy. So it is putting forth that Jesus Christ is true and eternal God. The Holy Spirit is true and eternal God. And it doesn't get around to talking about the incarnation and humanity of Jesus Christ until it's established all these foundational documents. And and then Article 18 talks about it. So, what we're talking about here is Jesus Christ according to his divine nature. We'll get to his human nature later, okay? Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only begotten Son of God. So when Peter was asked the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you are the Son of God, the Messiah. When the Apostles' Creed reads, Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, we should understand that as what the Nicene Creed will later come to define and specify and bring clarification to, eternally begotten, not made. Now, if you want me to tell you what eternally begotten means, I don't know. But it it means that Jesus has always been and as he's always been as the eternally begotten. Is that good enough? That's all you get. Because here's where mystery lies. And Herman Boving says mystery is the lifeblood of theology. It's the lifeblood of religion and we may not be able to cross all our T's and dot all our I's. We can say what we know, but that's as far as we go. There's mystery here, and that's okay. He's the only begotten Son of God, as the Belgian Confession says, begotten from eternity. That means he's always been begotten. There hasn't been a moment when he was not begotten. begotten. There hasn't been a moment when his begottenness began. He's eternally begotten, not made, nor created, for then he would be a creature. Now, when the Belgian Confession says, then he would be a creature, what it's referring to is an early church history, um, early church history um, heresy, um, that spread all over. And it was called Arianism because there was a bishop at that time named Arius who held this conviction that Jesus was more than just a man like adoptionists believe. That's what a heresy is about adoptionism. Adoptionism is the idea that Jesus was simply just a Jewish man who was chosen by God much like Mary was to uh, play a special role. And at his baptism, he was adopted by God as a son and took over this specific role, right? Um, We got to give Arius props here. He was more than an adoptionist. He believed that Jesus was, uh, at one time, didn't exist, 
but that Jesus was the most important creature and was created right before anything else. Sort of like the top-notch angel. You know, like God, before he creates anything, he creates his special son, you know. Here's my son, poof. And so, the Belgian Confession says, Jesus is not a creature. No. He is co-essential and co-eternal with the Father. And it quotes Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, by saying that Jesus is the very image of his substance and the effulgence of his glory. That is, that Jesus is one in being with God. He's not separate. He's not created. He's not something that comes out of God. He is God. And he's equal unto him in all things. And then the second part, Article 10 talks about here, is a denial of what we call adoptionism. He is the Son of God, not only from the time that he assumed our nature, but from all eternity. It's important that you note that when we talked about the Holy Trinity, that one of the things that was mentioned is their differences, right? Their incommunicable properties. The Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things visible and invisible. The Son is the word, wisdom, and image of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the eternal power and might proceeding from the Father and the Son. Right, so like we, we like to do that. We like to turn around and turn God into us. But God is wholly other. And Jesus Christ is the Son of God not only from the time that he assumed our nature, but from all eternity. And then Article 10 continues to list these testimonies, separate from the verses that I mentioned, proving that Jesus is not somebody who comes into uh, the mind of God later in history, only to appear in the New Testament, but has been around from the beginning. Well, Article 10 applies that directly, specifically. Moses says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that God created the world. I think we can all agree with that. God created the world. But then John says, as I mentioned for our call to worship this morning, or this afternoon, that all things were made by that word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The apostle says, because remember, the Belgian Confession believes that um, Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, that God made the world by his son. And in Colossians 1.10, Paul says, God created all things by Jesus Christ. Therefore, the logical necessity of those convictions, of those teachings, of those scriptures, is that he who is called word, or who, he who is called God, the word, the son, and Jesus Christ, existed at that time when all things were created by him. Jesus existed Alongside God, at the time, creation happened. 
That means he always existed. Therefore, the prophet Micah says, his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And the apostle, once again, Hebrews, in reference to Melchizedek, neither beginning of days nor end of life. He, therefore, is that true, eternal, and almighty God whom we invoke, worship, and serve. Now, that's his divinity defended, okay? But hopefully, we can go a little bit further than just proving by the scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, although the truth is important and should be defended. I want to ask another question. Instead of just, who is Jesus Christ? Why? Why is believing he is divine important? Applicable to us. Would it make any difference if we were an adoptionist or an Arianist or pick your heresy concerning Jesus? Why is it important that we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ? is true and eternal God. Well, I believe that the end of Article 10 begins to point us in that direction. Because Jesus is God, we invoke. It's another way of saying pray. We worship. We serve. The entire Old Testament seeks to bring about one strong conviction in the minds of those who believe that these scriptures is the word of God in the Old Testament. And that is You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods besides me. And to worship any other gods or to worship anything as a god that is not God is idolatry. And the Old Testament has a lot to say about idolatry. How simple it is, the way that when we worship idols, we become like them, dumb and mute, false and fake, we become corrupted. This is a very simple application, but deeply, deeply important. If Jesus is not God... Our worship and service to him, our prayers in his name, are idolatry. 
And every single one of us is a false worshiper worthy of condemnation. It's true. And so one application of the conviction that the scriptures teach, that we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is the true and eternal God, is that means not only that what we are offering is true worship, but it's the only true worship. We pray in the name of Jesus. We worship Christ. We serve and we give our lives to him because it is right to do so. And it means every other expression of worship, whether it be the Muslims, whether it be the Jews who do not see Jesus as their Messiah, that is idolatry. Like I said, the most important question that we can be asked or answered is the question, who is Jesus? And just like our reading this morning about the peace that Jesus brings, remember he said, I do not bring peace on earth. I bring division. And that division falls on the line of who Jesus is. Not simply a good teacher. Not a lunatic. Not a liar. Lord. God himself. But I want to go a little bit uh, more into this. It's not simply that the conviction that Jesus is true and eternal God, the Son of God existing from all eternity, eternally begotten, not made, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but there is not three gods, there is one God. Remember, mystery, right? It's not only important because it means that the worship that we give the service that we do, the prayers that we say are not idolatry, but in fact, the only true worship. But, I know we're studying the uh, Belgian Confession, but I'm going to use the Heidelberg Catechism to show the importance of the Belgian Confession. Is that okay? The very beginning of the section on salvation in the Heidelberg Catechism. The very moment that it's established our sinful condition and, and drilled into us that we have no hope apart from God's intervention, what does it do? It puts forward the kind of Savior we need. Lord's Day 5 says, Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. Is there no way by which we may escape that punishment and be again received into favor? And the answer is, God will have his justice satisfied. Therefore, we must make full satisfaction to the same, either by ourselves or by another. Question 13. But can we ourselves make this satisfaction? Can we as human beings... Pay this. The answer is by no means. On the contrary, 
We increase our debt daily. And question 14, can there be found anywhere a mere creature able to satisfy for us? Answer, once again, none. For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man has committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. And question 15 says, what manner of mediator and deliverer then must we seek? And the answer is, one who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is one who is true God. So if you want to know the application of the divinity of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give it to you. Not only does it mean that the worship and the prayers and the service that we give in Jesus is not blasphemy, it's not idolatry, but is proper worship, it also means that if Jesus was not God, we are still in our sins and of most people to be pitied, of all people to be most pitied. Because the only one who can save us is not simply a mere man. Not simply a true and righteous man without sin. He is true God. That by the power of his Godhead he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath. And that he might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. Who is that mediator? Who is that one's true God and a true righteous man? The only one who applies, who fits this category, is our Lord Jesus Christ. So although we're going to get to the incarnation of Jesus Christ in Article 18 of the Belgic Confession, before we even get there, we must know we must first establish the reality that before Jesus Christ ever entered into this world, before he was born to the Virgin Mary, before he put on flesh and dwelt among us, he always existed as the eternal Son of God, true God. And it's important that we know this, that we believe this in our heart and confess this with our mouth, because if Jesus is not true God, as well as being truly man, then we do not have a savior. We do not have salvation. We do not have the one who is the spiritual rock, Christ, who was stricken for us that we may be freed from the tyranny of the devil. So, not only is my encouragement meant to you, it's to know how to defend the divinity of Jesus Christ because heresies continue to abound the day about who Jesus is. And the right answer to that question has eternal consequences. But I want you to leave knowing that the worship and the prayer and the service that you give in Jesus' name is true and proper worship and... It is a worship, it is prayer, it is service 
that is rendered unto Jesus Christ because he is God. And because he is God, he could take your stone heart and turn it into a beating, living heart that pumps blood, that's given you spiritual life, that has brought you back from the death of your trespasses and sins. That has redeemed you in the cross. For Jesus was not God. And then we are still in our sins, and of most people, we are to be pitied. But thanks be to God, Jesus is true and eternal God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. For this time of worship, thank you that you have shown us in your word tonight that Jesus, your son, is true, eternal, and almighty God whom we invoke, worship, and serve. That he has been your son not only from the time that he assumed human nature, but from all eternity. That all things were made by the word of God who was with you in the beginning, and who is God. And because Jesus Christ is not only truly man, but truly God, he could bear in his body the wrath of God because of our sin and give us, restore to us righteousness and holiness. So we praise Jesus for his salvation. We praise you for sending your son. And we pray, Lord, that our worship would be always to you through and in the name of Jesus Christ and the power and operation of the Holy Spirit. We worship and serve Christ and pray to him because he is God. And that is something, Lord, I pray we are not ashamed of. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.